0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session one hundred and sixty-seven, and the quote of the day is from Thomas Edison, who said, when you've exhausted all possibilities, remember this, you haven't. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals, information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're doing well. And this is session 167. And if you want to hear the rest of them, head over to drummersresource.com. There's over a 100 and, well, there's 167 interviews there if you want to check them out. And they are 100% free. Also, if you haven't got a copy of my ebook yet check it out head over to drummersresource.com and the ebook is called stick control variations it's 11 creative exercises that you can use with the book stick control so it's a it's a complimentary book that goes with stick control that will really help you improve your your independence your chops and your speed and things like that and that's free at drummersresource.com when you sign up for the mailing list so let's get into this interview this is Dave DiCenzo, or the interviews with Dave Descenzo and for, uh, I don't know if, if there's anybody out there who doesn't know who Dave is, uh, you know, you will after this podcast and then you should immediately go to YouTube and just watch him play. He is an absolute monster. I've had a ton of people ask me to get him on the podcast and I have been wanting to get him on the podcast for a while. We made it happen and the interview is here and it's a really interesting interview. Uh, just we talk about um, a bunch of different things, but one of the, the cool things that he brings up is the one sort of common theme that he sees running through all music. And it was something that I'd never thought about before. so that's something really interesting that, that we talk about as well as some injury things that he got over and uh, just some, some great insights about, about music practice and all sorts of stuff. So without further ado, let's get into it with Dave Desenzo. Dave, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, Nick. My pleasure, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh there's been there's been a lot of emails that have come in and a lot of uh you know messages on social and things asking to get you on and I've I've wanted to for a while, so I'm glad that that we finally made this happen.
1: Very cool. That's great to hear, man. I appreciate you sharing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the guests, I mean or the guests, the audience knows. I always like to get uh some background on all my guests. So just talk a little bit about sort of where you come from and and you know who you are and what you do well uh i literally come from
1: the south shore of boston a town called randolph massachusetts um and uh well i started my dad is a drummer and uh and a a noted educator as well and um let me just mute my phone um and you know i was basically uh and my oldest brother is a drummer and was drumming um you know as as early as I can remember. uh My brother was already playing drums, and my other brother was playing piano, but I definitely uh gravitated toward drums and uh and you know my dad was teaching at the house that I grew up in mm-hmm. and i started asking him for lessons and uh, he uh, put me off for about a year I was four when I started asking him and he started me at about five years old and um, you know I was already playing I was
0: you know I was playing in my 45 records Mm -hmm. Um, why why did he put you off because he just felt like maybe you were too young to start I think so yeah I think
1: that it was as simple as that yeah
0: because I read somewhere that yeah in the beginning maybe you weren't the best student or something like that but maybe was that just because he he was saying that you were too young?
1: No. Well, no, no, no. So I he when he started me at 5 years old. That's when I, you know, for about 5 years from like 5 years old to 10 years old, I took drum lessons with my dad and during that time, you know, I, I in hindsight I realized I wasn't the best student. Like I, I was definitely distracted, um, by just playing, especially playing along to music. That's really where the joy was for me. But for whatever reason, I felt like I should take lessons. It's kind of interesting to me again, in hindsight, that I would be thinking at such a young age that I should take lessons. And, and, uh, and I guess I wanted to at first, but I kind of quickly realized that there was a lot about studying drums at least at that age that I didn't like
0: mm-hmm. what what didn't you like about it i couldn't I
1: couldn't see um, I couldn't connect the dots like there was you know I was questioning like why do I need to know what whole notes and half notes and quarter notes are and you know why do I need to know what a dot does to a node, and why do I need to know what triplets are? Why do I need to know the theory like I can play the drums you right know? right um and and I suppose if I found the theory very interesting and compelling uh and fun, I would have been fine with it but it, to me, it was just sort of a a drag um. And, uh, and so, you know, I was also very much into sports and just being a kid and playing and we had a great backyard that connected with our neighbor's backyard that made for an awesome football field, uh, and, you know, baseball, wiffle ball, you know, we were out there all the time. And so there was a lot of practicing that wasn't getting done. The practicing on the, you know, on the theoretical side, Mm um,
0: So what were you, were you worried that maybe if you learned the theory, it would do something to your playing or you just didn't see the value in it? I didn't see
1: the value in it. But mind you, again, I was very young. I wasn't worried about it screwing up my playing, so to speak. I was too young to even. I realize. Think, yeah. I
0: realize I got, yeah. it's
1: a possibility, you know?
0: The reason why I asked actually this Saturday, I just ran into one of my old students and he was like, man, thank you so much for, for pushing me for so many years to learn how to read because for a while he didn't want to learn rudiments. He didn't want to read. He didn't want to do anything because, you know, he was like, Oh, I'm just, I'm an artist and, you know, I don't want to learn all that theory stuff and have it screw up my playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a, it's a common notion, you know? Right. Um, but I, you know, obviously, uh, I guess, obviously, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I don't subscribe to that, uh, that notion. Sure. You know, uh, to me, literacy, if you will, um, ultimately uh, creates more freedom. You know, mm-hmm. more freedom to be an artist, and that's not to say people who can't read music aren't amazing artists, you know, obviously there, there are many examples of that in the drumming world alone. Um, but I'm very happy that I chose to go sort of the, the, the literate becoming literate to go that route. Mm -hmm. Um, and I continue to be, man. I mean, like it's, it's helped me so much. Um, you know, that that's practically a whole conversation in itself, but just the, the control that I feel with multiple faculties, like not just using my ears, um, people who don't understand music, who don't, I'm sorry, who don't read music, they still use their mind. They still use their intellect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's in a different way. It's, it's gotta be in a different way. Like they, you know. I can see music in my head. I can right. see what it looks like, you know, written out. I love that. I love having, you know, I find that that is a, a great tool that, to have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can hear music before I hear it, before I play it, you know. But I would imagine people who don't read can do that. Um, writing, writing, uh, you know, transcribing helped me so much. Um, in terms of like decoding what drummers were doing drummers that i was influenced by mm-hmm. um where you know theretofore i couldn't i didn't understand what they were doing right you know, i could, yeah. i couldn't i think i say it in my book rhythm and drumming demystified i i couldn't get the information from my ears to my limbs because there was a a, a roadblock which there was a my, mental breakdown my, my comprehension my
0: understanding of it Hmm. So I, I I'm glad that we're talking about this because I get man, I, I can't even tell you how many emails and messages that I get about people asking me about reading. They say, what's the best way to improve my reading? You know, how can I go about reading? Uh, what books do you suggest that I that I check out for reading? And I luckily have the opportunity to talk to the greatest drummers in the world. So I always like to get everyone's opinion on certain things like practice and but this specifically reading, uh, I don't feel like I've really gone extremely deep with that conversation uh, with anyone on the podcast. So if you don't mind, I mean, do you want to take a, just a few minutes about uh, and sort of talk about reading specifically? And, and let's talk about some ways where we think that we can help the audience improve their reading, get into reading. Uh, you know, I always tell them just, you know, the best way to learn to read is to read. But
1: yeah. Well, that, you know, and I understand that. That's like, and then the students like, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, That's that's very helpful. Uh, But, but I understand that that's like a a very logical response. Um, And it's a true response. It's an accurate response. I should say. Um, What I would add to that is uh, transcribing. I just mentioned it. Uh, Transcribing helped me to become a better reader. Yes, it helped me to decode what drummers were doing that I that I didn't understand, uh, but it also helped me to read. You know, when you, mm-hmm. if you write, you know, you learn to read. One thing I love about transcribing, and and I, and I must say, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of transcribing. It's kind of a tedious process, at least I'll... That's my sort of view of it. It wasn't my favorite thing to do. Um, but but there were, you know, at times it, it was – at times, you know, I should say, I, I even nowadays, I kind of look forward to getting to the to – you know, with a to pencil and paper and writing something down, especially my own stuff these days. You know, when I've got right. stuff up in my head or I play something – And, you know, and I'm practicing and I and I I like a phrase that I'm that I'm working out and and I don't want to forget it or and or I want to get more inside of what I'm doing and really understand the micro space of what I'm doing. I jump off the drums and I and I write it down and it's it's and it is kind of cool. It's kind of like, yeah, I want to go do this. But in the earlier days, transcribing was, you know, it could be tedious at best sometimes. And especially when I really, you know, became a working drummer and a sideman and was transcribing other people's music all the time. That's when it really kind of became a drag for me. But I digress. Uh, you know, wh- one of the things I love about transcribing is when you do so, you slow something down to the speed at which you can write. You cannot go any slower than that. You mm-hmm. can't put a metronome on that slow, right? You know. Yep. So you're slowing it down to the speed at which you can write. That means you're offering yourself an opportunity to really get underneath, get inside uh, this this piece of information, whatever it may be, and understand it from a very uh, you know profound
0: level. Sure. I never thought of it like that though. That's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it because like you said, you, you can't play it that slow. So you're really, you really have to decipher this thing note for note because you know, if you take, if you take a passage and play it on the drums and it's at a speed that maybe you're not comfortable with, you're probably going to, you may gloss over a couple of the notes or it may not be as defined as it should be just because. Right. You haven't broken it down that far or you may be playing what you think you hear, (laughs) you know, but it's not actually the case.
1: Exactly, man. Yeah, man. If you want to get up inside as deeply as you can and into something, you know, get off the drums, transcribe it, write it out. Hmm. And uh, and on that note, you know, if you learn a piece of music and you're having any difficulty in any area, you know, extract that area when i learn to you know extract that area and 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 you know if the tune's at 100 beats per minute you know extract the area shut the music off and practice that area as a separate entity you know 30 clicks slower than the song asks for um is another way of getting very you know much inside something i mean of course it's like it's that's not nothing That's not anything new that I'm offering. Slow it down. But I'm still surprised. um, I still experience, shall we say, students who don't do that, you know, 20 year old guys or or ladies who um, are are not doing that. I'll assign a piece of music and they come back and, um, you, you know, they don't have it completely together. You know, if I'm looking for an A performance, they're giving me like maybe a C plus performance. And I'm like, okay, so that's not happening. Um, Do you have this, you know, transcribed? No. Did you, you know, did you take any time to shut the music off and just put the metronome on slower than the music and, and play through this stuff? No, I didn't. I didn't do that. So I think that's a, a, a pretty significant mistake, actually, and a, a waste of t- you know you're wasting time doing that. Right. So you know, okay. So back to the, the reading and the you know. So how do we get better at reading? Um, transcribing, transcribing, transcribing. Um, you know, I tell my students go borrow some some charts from your your friends. You know, borrow a handful of charts for a week from one of your friends and, and just, you know, go try to sight read them, you know. And if you can't sight read them, if you can't even come close, then go try to decipher them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, dissect them and, and take it very slow. Uh, that's going to help your reading. Um, you know, put yourself in situations where you have to read, like, um, in school, uh, band which which incidentally I did not do, and that you know reading was a struggle for me, yeah. uh, I understood rhythmic theory once i got on un- once I understood rhythmic theory, I understood it, and I was very clear about it but sight reading in particular um was a a great challenge for me you know at say twenty years old you know i wasn't i wasn 't good at it and i hadn't done it and you know for for sake of perspective i still haven't done a lot of sight reading you know I've sure had, i've had a long career at this point and have done have had to do very little sight reading
0: well i was going to ask do you think that the sight reading helped You're playing more or your career more. I mean, I I guess they're, you know, they're sort of the same thing. But, you know, some people are are say you know, if I didn't sight read, there's no way I would get half the gigs I got because I do all the sight reading. But for you, it sounds like you're saying I'm not I didn't necessarily use sight reading to get me gigs, but it actually just helped me from a from a musical standpoint and from a creation standpoint of of taking these rhythmic figures or ideas and being able to either transcribe them or write my own parts out or, or something like that, which in turn enhances your playing.
1: So that is all accurate. Yes. I would, I would agree there. And no, um, sight reading was not how I got gigs, how I did get gigs though. Like for example, when I started, you know, uh, when I, when I, you know, consciously decided I'm going to be a side man. My dream prior to that and always was to be in a band. I, I, you know, when I started playing drums, I didn't know what a side man was. You know, Uh, I just wanted to be in a band and, and I tried that. And, you know, at some point at about, I was probably about 19, 20 years old. I decided this isn't going to work. You know, I'm not, I can't keep a band together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I need to earn a living, you know? Um, so I become a side man. And, and what did help me get gigs tremendously was my ability to read my ability to say, have somebody send me, um, an hour's worth of music. And, uh, you know, they want me for a week's worth of work. Um, you know, two weeks from now or a month from now and I go transcribe all that music and I get it down and, uh, and I show up and, you know, I don't need to rehearse. Mm -hmm. That was very helpful. Sure. that happened many times and same thing with the, the studio showing up and being able to, you know, listen to a track, you know, not having heard any of the music. So I show up for a week's worth of work in the studio. I'm gonna make a record with a band that's hiring me. And and uh I don't know any of the music. I show up, I go into the control room, we listen to the track, I chart it out, we listen to it again, I make fi- you know, my final notes, and you know, into the into the room, track, you know, go for a
0: couple takes, uh and you know, I got it. Right. So are you shorthanding it or are you actually writing the whole thing out? No, I, w- I would I I sh- would, would shorthand,
1: you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you would call it shorthand. I certainly wasn't writing stuff. So say I'm listening to a track and it's a demo drum track, you know. It's, I'm listening to a demo, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm certainly not, you know, um, writing note for note. I'm not transcribing note for note. I'm right. making sure I've got each part accurate in terms of measures, in terms of, you know, resolution points, you know, accents, making sure I'm getting the phrasing. Um, you know, I might write out the first bar of the groove or the first two bars if it's a two bar phrase and then, you know, repeat. And, you know, uh, instead of writing the fill out, I would write the word fill, you know? Sure. Um, and if there were kicks, you know, figures, depending upon the figures, I may just write, um, Something like uh you know, three two clave or song clave, mm-hmm. you know, like if the kicks were bounce, don't bounce, don, don, you know, something like that. And then, you know, uh I would just write the words three two song clave or one bar clave. Um, and I would often do that with grooves too. Like if the groove was booms, bones, booms, boom bons, booms, b, boom. I would just write you know, instead of transcribing that groove, I would write three, two, song clave, you know, back sure. to
0: two and four. Sure. Yeah, that makes makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Because I know, you know, like the guys in Nashville use the Nashville number system. And, you know, for me, like if I, I, I don't chart very well. So, like, I mean, I can transcribe, but like, yeah, I'm not going to write it out note for note, especially on the fly. It takes me a long time to to actually, like, write something note for note, so I'll just sort of do the same thing, just, okay, here's what I need to know, here's where the fills are, you know, here's where the changes are, and and let's keep moving. But even that, that, even that, having that as as a working, uh, you know, as a working vocabulary of just shorthanding things, and knowing how to chart something out quickly is huge, especially in the studio. I agree, man. There was so much, so many opportunities that I was
1: able to uh, (sighs) take on um because of my ability to read and write Mm -hmm. and uh i can't i can't you know emphasize that enough um i wouldn't have been able to do a fraction of the things that i did um if i didn't have those skills right so i'm grateful i'm grateful that i did that now you know I just want to talk about for a moment the, the other side of this, which is, you know, the not understanding, like, like, uh, like, you know, when I, when I play piano, I, you know, I'm not a very good, I'm not a good pianist at all. I can, I can, if I practice something enough and I mean enough, I've got to really work through it, then I can play. I can actually get it to sound pretty good, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm not a pianist by any stretch. And, uh, what I've discovered though is, you know, these, these incredibly like serendipitous mistakes on the piano because I don't know what I'm doing so much. And, uh, you know, I play a wrong chord that ends up, you know, being a very right chord, you know. So this sort of happy mistake, um, because i, I am a, a composer a songwriter and and i've spent time and i do spend time playing the piano in in pursuit of 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 my compositions and you know i don't have that experience on the drums like i know what i'm doing on the drums so there are very much less happy mistakes yes they happen but you know like playing something that you don't understand there's its own Appeal that has its very own special appeal as well, you know. Sure, and I think I recall Gary Husband, the great drummer, Gary Husband, um, who also plays piano. I think he said that about. I think he said that about drums, like piano. Like he was up inside piano. He understood everything that he was doing, and his drumming, he doesn't, and he has consciously. Chosen to sort of leave it that way. At least the last time I read anything about Gary Husband. Sure. You know, I was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I want that ignorance. You yeah. Know, that ignorance is bliss kind of thing.
0: Well, the weird thing that I've always sort of struggled with, and I don't know if you've ever felt this too, and maybe it's a, it's a frustration and sort of, and and a little bit of, uh like, a, a little bit of jealousy that... I'm like, I can sit down, I can practice drums my whole life, you know, and somebody can sit down behind the drums and have never played the drums ever. And they can make, they can make sounds. Yes. And if you've never played the piano and you sit down behind the piano, everyone knows that you've never played the piano before. (laughs) And like, I can't sit down at a violin and play a nice chord, you know? Right. But right. somebody can sit behind a drum, you know, boom, doom, boom, doom, do doom, 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 boom, boom. And it's like, oh man, they must know how to play drums. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, for me, uh, just to sort of, you know, to add to what you were saying, I, sometimes I, I, you know, I, I don't think you can learn piano or those other instruments without at least diving in a little bit more than just the surface level. Like you can get away with playing drums.
1: Well, you know, that's a really, interesting comment. And I'm not, I'm not sure where I come down on that, to be honest with you. I, I you know, I, I would just offer to, in response to that, that there are, and I'm sure you know this, there, there are people who play guitar who, you know, I'm sure, you know, there, there are people who can sit down at any instrument at, you know, uh, you know, you hear, you, you hear of these, you know, like you see, I forget his name. There's this, this, this young kid, he's like nine years old and he's like playing like jazz piano, like at an extremely high level, something, I forget his name, but you know, like, Buddy Rich playing the drums. Like for all we know, if Buddy, maybe Buddy could have come out of the womb and instead of choosing drums, he chose piano. And, you know, he would have been Buddy the Boy Wonder on piano. Right. Um, It just happened to be drums. There are those people who play other instruments who are just like seemingly destined, you know, to to come out of the womb and do this at a high level. Um, so I understand what you're saying and I, I wonder, I'm going to leave that with sort of a, a question mark. Like, I wonder about that. I'll, I'll be thinking about that, you know, after this, after this, uh, conversation, you know, I'll probably contemplate that, but my sort of knee jerk reaction to that is, Hmm, I'm not so sure, Nick, like there are People who can do it on other instruments. Right. And there are people who sit down and play the drums who, who've never played the drums. And you know they've never played
0: the drums. <laughs> That's true. I still sound like that now. So <laughs> Nice. So uh, I want to I want to switch uh, switch gears a little bit because I know there's there's a couple things that I want to talk about. So uh, you know I want to be cognizant of your time. But um, so I, let's talk about your two books first. Uh, you have Universal Rhythms for Drum Set, and then you have Rhythm and Drumming Demystified. Uh, the two of them. Can we sort of just talk about what the what the inspiration was behind them, and and sort of what what the readers can expect to get out of those books?
1: Absolutely. All right. So I released these books. Uh, in reverse order, if you will. If you wanted to tie these two books together, Universal Rhythms for Drum Set was released in 2009. And then five years later, I did Rhythm and Drumming Demystified. In my mind, and I'll tell your listeners briefly why that is. I set out to write a book in, uh, I don't know, 2003. And um, I started writing and writing and writing and I got very far along into this book and in doing so discovered that there was another book that I wanted to write. And I was more excited about this new idea, which wasn't entirely a new idea, just sort of, you know, it was, it was the ideology wasn't as as old uh, as as the the ideology in the book that I was originally writing, so so I've got this sort of new idea or this new concept to address this not so new idea, and I abandon the first book. I say, okay, I'm not going to finish that book. I, I, I'm only going to write one book in my life because this is
0: crazy difficult. Right. I'm going to write the book I want to write. Sure. How long did it take you to write the book? Because I like i thought about writing books before and I'm like, man, I just don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I got, because everybody I talked to is like, oh, it took me two years, three years, five years. Five years for me, brother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was not, it was often not fun. You know,
0: yeah.
1: I'm so glad I did it. You know, I, I'm, you know, I can honestly say I'm glad I did it and I learned so much uh, from writing Universal Rhythms in particular Because I was still developing this idea. So I was discovering things as I was writing it. And and that definitely made it more exciting. But it was still brutally challenging in terms of organizing it, presenting it, being thorough but succinct, making people understand what I was talking about, you know, making people understand what you are saying without being in there in front of their face saying it is extremely difficult. And I've got one more book in me, Nick, and I'm done. I will not
0: (laughs) write anymore. (laughs) What's the third? Do you know what the third one's going to be? Yeah, the third
1: is going to be Rhythm and Drumming Demystified book two. You know, Rhythm and Drumming Demystified two. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a connector between Rhythm and Drumming Demystified and Universal Rhythms. I got you. And it's going to be a great book. I'm really excited.
0: I'm, I'm really excited about this second, the 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 last book that I will write. It's slated for release in 2027. So stay <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't hold your breath, people. Um, <laughs> well, you know the thing is though, if it takes you five years to write it, who cares? Like that, those five years are going to pass either way, whether you were working on the book or not.
1: That's a, that's you know that's absolutely true. I guess who cares though is do you want to spend your, you know, do you want to spend your time that way? That's what the, the author or, or, or potential author needs to ask him or herself Right. is right. do I want to spend this time, um, you know, doing this and, and, and crawling up the butt of your, of your art form. It's, right. you know, it's, it can be uh very, very challenging, not very fun. The opposite of why you why we started playing in the first place. We didn't start playing because, you know, we wanted to overthink anything or, or, or you know, I'm not saying that it's bad. Obviously, it's good. I mean, you know, to write a book is, 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 is good. To provide a book to potential students uh, or, you know, people who want to play the drums, that's a wonderful thing. But um, do you want to spend your time Being that uh, cerebral, and not only cerebral, but having to organize that administrative. Do you want to turn your art into that for five years, you know, on a part-time
0: basis? Because it gets – I mean, it has to get super academic, right? You know, for for, for all intents and purposes.
1: What would be another word for academic? Like, what do you mean by –
0: Meaning it has to be – the what you're creating is to help people with their art form but the way that you have to create it it has to be very digestible and very easily or easily laid out and everything so it has to get like I would imagine it has to get like super black and white
1: yes and in the first book you know there was some stuff that wasn't so black and white just in the content mm-hmm. you know in the concept I should say right So, so you try to Take stuff that's not precisely black and white and make it black and white. And, you know, it's a recipe for, uh, you know, frustration, certainly at some points in that process.
0: So this podcast has been sponsored by DW for a while now, and I am a DW guy. I've been playing DW for years, and I was just out there and... There are some beautiful Gretsch kits that are floating around there because they're making Gretsch now. And just do yourself a favor. Just go to Gretsch.com and check out the the Gretsch drums because they are beautiful and they sound amazing. They sound different than DW, but equally amazing. I, I got to check some out when I was out there. So, uh, I don't know. There may be a Gretsch kit in my future, too. I feel like it's okay now because they're under the same umbrella or something. But definitely check them out, Gretsch.com. If you're looking for high-quality symbols but you don't want to spend a lot of money, the Sabian XSR may be a good option for you. I could tell you all about the trickle-down technology and, and their B12 bronze and all that stuff, but let me tell you what you need to know. They are high-quality symbols made at a price that everyone can afford, and they are the best-in-class, period. So, for more information, you can check them out at sabian.com. So I'm happy to announce that Evans is now a sponsor of the podcast again. They were last year, and now they are again. And they have the Level 360 that gives you the most consistent fit for your drums. That you can get a great tonal range, effortless tuning, and the freedom to express yourself any way you want. And you can learn more about Evans and their drum heads at evansdrumheads.com. Now let's get back into it with Dave DeCenzo.
1: So the first book I wrote, Universal Rhythms for Drum Set, um, the concept behind that book, uh, you know, I wrote on the back of the book, it says to, you know, help to help drummers demystify the creative process. Um, This workbook style guide shows how hundreds of variations can be interpreted from five simple foundational rhythms. So, you know, I, I called this book a workbook with the concept. The concept essentially is: look at the most common rhythmic context in the world, meaning clave, uh, one bar clave, song clave, rumba clave, six-eight clave, partido alto. In my research as a student, as a songwriter, as a player, uh, especially as a sideman, I started hearing you know, you know, you're a side man, you go into a session, and you want to get to the bottom of things really fast, Mm -hmm. right? Because time is, you know, money, and you want to get to the bottom of of each song really fast and pump it out. And, you know, have people say, Yeah, yeah, awesome. That was great. And fast. Great. We'll hire you again. And so in an effort to, to be successful at doing that, I'm trying to you know, listen to a song and as quickly as possible sort of decode the rhythmic content, uh, the rhythmic uh, formulas, if you will, of the song and and have that help me get to the bottom of it very quickly. And over and over and over and over, I was hearing especially three 2 son clave over hmm. and over and over. And I'm hearing it in, you know, more and more I'm recognizing it in the songs. And you know, this is like, you know, 20 years ago. Sure. I'm recognizing it in 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 the music that I listen to. Um I'm hearing one bar clave. And and uh and I'm, you know, at one point I said to myself, "Okay, so one bar clave, let's take that rhythm for example. One bar clave is the most common Rhythm in the world, in my estimation, certainly in the Western world, you hear it everywhere. One Mm -hmm. bar clave. And, uh, at one point I decided to permutate that rhythm.
0: And, and you're saying, and you're saying either way, like two, three or three, two.
1: Yes. Yes. But more common, you'd hear three, two. Okay. You definitely more commonly hear three, two. But yes, you commonly hear two, three as well. You also hear rumba. But mm-hmm. you more commonly hear son, um, but you definitely hear rumba and, you know, so much of the 6-8 stuff that you hear. Should we, uh, should we
0: clap the difference between between rumba and son so people Yeah, know. So,
1: so son clave. Here's one bar clave. Three, four, one, up, in, a three, up, it, one, up. There's your one bar clave. Okay? Son clave right here. One, up, and and a four, and that's three, two, one, two, three, one, two, Roomba, one, two, one two, three, and a four again, one, two, so there's one, two, three, one, two, okay, and then you could turn both of those rhythms around and start them with the two parts, so you got three and a four again, and a song, and Roomba, one, So those are the first three universal rhythms in universal rhythms for drum set. And, um, the reason I, I isolate these figures is because I, I was hearing them everywhere. Mm Uh, um, and I was using these rhythms, like I just said in earlier in, in the conversation, you know, I would often write, literally just write three, two song clave. Then I didn't have to write the groove because I knew exactly what that meant. Right. You know? Right. Um, and, uh, and so it dawned on me that I should be able to interpret these figures in all conceivable ways, you know, at least conceivable by me, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? You know, and, and, uh and in doing so, I should displace these figures, I should permutate them. So I know how to play around these figures. I don't want to, you know, limit myself to being able to only play these figures, I need to be able to play around these figures, I need to be able to play with these figures, because everybody's playing them. No, yep. these are not just drummers playing these figures. People are, you know, everybody's playing them. People are singing them. Bob Marley's singing it when he goes, uh, three, two, no, one, two, three, four, so much trouble in the world. Right? You hear mm-hmm. that clock. So much trouble in the world. And then the band goes, you know. Mm-hmm. can i use expletives here you can use
0: whatever you want to use
1: that shit (laughs) is is um all dancing around clave right why clave because you know it came up from africa Mm -hmm. like these are the rhythms that were born in Africa and that all the music in Africa was based around and it, you know, it migrates its way up to, to North America and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the islands before that.
0: Mm-hmm. And man, I remember when like finding out that New Orleans music was based on the clave.
1: And yeah, it man. just like
0: head, my head just exploded.
1: Yeah. And you, and, know? And you, know, and you know what? All freaking music is based on clave. Like, yeah. you know, You turn you turn current pop radio on today and you hear one bar clave. You've been hearing one bar clave, you know, forever, whether you call it that, whether you recognize it as that your ears recognize that rhythm. And someone who is, you know, rhythmically literate knows oh, that's one bar clave. Mm You know, Um,
0: like especially like a lot of that, like early 80s rock stuff like that pop rock stuff. I'm thinking yeah, of uh, 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 what um, tune am I thinking of? Uh well, whatever. There's
1: well in the you know there are thousands. Yeah. Uh, thousands, Nick. In the book I high I you know, I cite like chameleon, for example. hmm You know, boom, 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 you know, the, the, the Herbie's Herbie's songs, yeah. part. Uh the whole rhythm section, Harvey's going boom, gut boom, gut, gut, boom, but totally three two song. He's not playing the third note, but he's playing all the other ones. He's implying it rather than playing it, yeah. Yes, exactly. And he's strongly it. implying it. Voodoo Child, Hendrix. Hendrix's guitar part is three two. Achilles last stand, Zeppelin. Uh the outro riff. Totally, song Clave, right? <laughs> oh, so much trouble in the world. Bob Marley. I just sang that one. Um, "Black Cow" by Steely Dan. You, you know, listen. If you, what I would encourage your listeners to do is start listening for it. Name it, recognize it, and say, "Oh, there it is." you know yeah. it won't always be in the drum part it won't always be in one part sometimes it will be distributed amongst different you know members of the different members of the band um uh what's a
0: yeah i I'm I would have I would have never thought that like hearing it now yeah when you say it but black cow it never even crossed my mind that it was yeah, yeah, black cow, three two song clave. Uh, bow don't bow, bow don't
1: don't get the bow don't bow do whatever. Yeah, don't bow At the corner for my eye, I saw you at blue. you were very high, you were high, and oh. So the, the vocal is dancing on top of that rhythm. You know, mm-hmm. the vocal's not going at the corner of my eye. You know, it's not sure. trying, it's not adhering to that, but the rhythm section is totally playing that as a foundational figure. It's huh. amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, that, you know, I started discovering this and saying, wow, like, this is, this is cool, man. Like, this is like, I felt like I was finding sort of like a, a, you know, a Rosetta stone, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was decoding this language that was still at the time somewhat mystifying me, not to the point in my, like I could play, but it was more like, why do I play this? Why shouldn't I play this? Why do I do this here? Why do I not do this here? You know, what is there's something deeper going on than just the, you know, um, I don't even know how to finish that. There's something deeper going on than than what I understand up to this point. And this was a breakthrough for me. It was very exciting. And I said, OK, I'm going to learn how to interpret these these rhythms In as many ways as I can conceive of, I'm going to permutate these rhythms and I'm going to learn how to interpret those permutations. And in doing so, I feel like I'm going to improve my ability. First of all, I'm going to expand my vocabulary exponentially. Secondly, I'm going to improve my ability to hear people playing these rhythms and being able to respond with something aesthetically complementing. You know, a complementary, mm-hmm. sure. as well as musical, in terms of being able to create contrast, which is a primary, what um, oh, a component, a primary component of of creating art in any form. If you if you cannot think of something and then create something in contrast to that something then you cannot create art you're you know you're missing half of the half of the uh the recipe sure so that i would say would be the major impetus behind me writing universal rhythms for drum set um and also another thing that i point out in that book is recognizing how you know Yes, th- these rhythms are, are, are the basis, the rhythmic basis we use to speak many different rhythmic dialects, if you will. Like we're all speaking the same rhythm, but we speak in different dialects. Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, the Latin dialect, the rock and roll dialect, the jazz dialect. Um, but utilizing these rhythms, we can see how all those dialects are related to one another. We're all playing the same figures. You know, I don't care if you're a Latin drummer or, or or jazz drummer or a metal drummer. You're we're all playing the same stuff. Right. And we can draw parallels rhythmically and say, wow, you know, like <laughs> this is kind of cool. Like if I if I just uh change my mindset, change my emotional connection, change my aesthetic. I could play a different style of music using the same figure, you know. So it's like almost like, well, you know, like funk isn't that far off from rock. Rock isn't that far off from jazz, you know. Mm-hmm. And that I found helpful too. And I had hoped to sort of illuminate that concept in in this book, Universal Rhythms for Drum Set.
0: Would do you think that people compartmentalize styles? I do. Uh, I think.
1: And for good reason, I would say, because, you know, like speaking a different dialect, like if you if you, you know, you go to a different part of our own country and you could, you know, it's like you can find it hard to understand people. I mean, I've, I've been in Providence, Rhode Island. I You know, I grew up in yeah. Massachusetts. I drive 40 minutes away and I, I can't even understand these people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different thing. So, yeah, you do
0: want to kind of compartmentalize to a degree. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, um, even from a language standpoint, like I spend a lot of time in Italy. The audience knows I talk about Italy a lot. But so where we are uh, in Abruzzo, like if you go all the way up north or you go farther down south, I mean, there it's like it's a different language. Yeah, literally, I, like you can't the the people you can't understand. I, if if they're both speaking dialect, if they're speaking proper Italian, they understand. But like you start speaking dialect, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, man, it's amazing. And so and there you go. Like it's it's if you want to know the different dialects, you do have to compartmentalize to a degree for sure. Um, you're going to touch the instrument in different ways you know with different dialects you're going to you're going to prioritize your backbeat in backbeat music you're going to prioritize your cymbal in 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 jazz music um certainly in you know traditional jazz music um you know you're going to treat your bass drum differently in in heavy metal music than you are in 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 funk music at least you ought to be you know right. so that kind of compartmentalizing is 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 important. And what I felt like I was throwing into the mix was the idea of, okay, so compartmentalize, but also recognize how similar this stuff is, you know, Mm -hmm. be able to draw parallels. So you, in, in order to help you, you know, understand and be able to speak these different dialects.
0: Sure. Yep. Makes total sense. So, speaking of developing, uh, these dialects and, and different styles and things like that, one thing I really like to talk about is practice because everybody has a sort of a different approach and, and a different, uh, different idea of what the best way is to practice. And for you especially, the, the thing that I've noticed about your playing that I really like about your playing is that you have, I've noticed that you have a lot of power and speed, but then you also have finesse and dynamics and things like that, which, it uh, to me i've always i've always found it uh amazing how when people can really have control over both which i think you do very well uh so how did you how did you sort of develop both sides of that spectrum of having that sort of that raw power and speed but also being able to play you know dynamically and and really with with finesse and things like that
1: mm-hmm. well uh well thanks for noticing first of all sure it, you know it's something
0: it's it's, it's hard not
1: to <laughs> <laughs> well I appreciate that uh, uh you know um it's something that I really had to work on man like I came up
0: did you did you consciously work on that
1: yes okay. I did okay. I did I had to because I came up in a time you know I started working in like the you know the mid 80s say mm-hmm you know, and by working, I mean gigging and doing sessions. And, and, uh, very early on in the work that I really wanted to do, um, I, you know, I was hitting the drums hard. And when I started working and I, people started taking notice, and they were, one of the things they were taking notice in my playing was my power. And, um, and it was sort of a common, at least it was common knowledge to me that, you know, you know, if you're a rock drummer and you're, especially in the studio, you, you hit the drums really hard. You know, you give mm-hmm. that microphone a a solid signal and, you know, and the engineers are happy and, and, uh, and I took that to the stage as well. I mean, you know, I, I put on a, a very physical show when I was younger and I still do. Like when I toured with Josh Groban, you know, and we're doing these arenas and these, you know, these big shows, these big venues, um, it, I put on a show, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, but back in, you know, when I was a teenager into my early 20s, um, I really didn't know how to do anything else. You know, I was, I was playing in metal bands and, you know, going, you know, and doing – you know, in 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 tandem with that, I was also, you know, doing general business bands, you know, so I'm playing weddings and bar mitzvahs and anniversary parties. And like it was extremely, extremely difficult for me to play quietly. And so um, that was sort of the beginning, like this acknowledgement that, wow, this is really hard to play quietly. And it actually kind of hurts my arms. I'm getting stiff trying to control my volume, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I was starting to hurt myself at a pretty young age, playing as hard as I did, but people liked it. I liked it, you Right. Know? And it was kind of my MO, like, you know, one day early in my twenties, you know, someone said to me, you know, you are the hardest hitting drummer, you know, I know or ever, or whatever they said. And I was like, you know, in my head, I was like, yeah, man, that's right. Like that's, I kind (laughs) of, you know, like that was kind of a good thing to me. And, uh, so that were my, my beginnings, if you will. And, and that grew into over time, realizing that I was limiting myself. First of all, I was hurting myself, which is a whole other conversation. Maybe we'll talk about some, some other day, but, uh but really the long story short as I realized, you know, I remember I think I was watching B.B. King on some like instructional video, and he says, you know, he says, uh, you know, if I if I if I'm shouting all the time, and he's talking about playing his guitar, he says, if I'm shouting all the time, I'll I'll frighten people. You know, he was like right. drawing a parallel between conversing or telling a story mm-hmm. through the human voice, you know, uh, versus doing it through a guitar. And, you know, that's something that sticks out as a memory, like, you know, that, that resonated with me, like, yeah, man, like, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't fully actualizing who I was at that point by being pretty much solely a, a hard, you know, a motherfucker, hard hitter. You know like, And I like
0: the comparison of the yelling of like so yeah. if if I get excited, where am I gonna go from there? Yes. You know yes. Yes. I should tell yeah. that to I should tell that to my dad. What did you say? I said I should tell that to my dad. Why? <laughs> he's always yelling he's Italian, he's always yelling. <laughs> I've I've been in meetings with them and like I grew up in the family restaurant business and like I come out of the office and they're like, man, what was that argument about? I was like, oh, nothing. We were talking about the Phillies. You know, like, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I just I interrupted you. I apologize. Well,
1: yeah, man. Um, you know, I realized I being that hard hitting mofo was not cutting it for me anymore. I, you know, I wanted to be able to do that, but I, I needed to be able to express myself in in different ways. And, uh, you know, I grew up. What turned me on to music was not drums. It was it was music. It was FM radio and and some of the records my my older brothers were listening to. My dad was listening to jazz, you know. Uh, he was listening to some bebop and small band stuff as well as big band stuff. But what really stuck in my soul, if you will, heart and soul and consciousness, was the FM radio pop stuff. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved it and still do to this day it was the melodies even more than the lyrics Mm -hmm. way more than the drumming or anything else. It was the melodies. It was the sing along factor. It just made me feel good. It made me want to sing. Um, and I didn't really, when I started as a professional drummer, I started pretty much into progressive rock directly into like hard metal, like speed metal, thrash metal. Um, progressive metal. Um, And I did that for several years. And when I started playing other types of rock and roll, you know, I, I brought that very aggressive, hard hitting metal guy attitude uh, into it. And, you know, it seemed to be working, you know, Mm -hmm. according, you know, I wasn't getting any complaints, but, Um, at one point I realized it wasn't working anymore. I don't want to just come to all these situations and just beat the shit out of them. Um, I tell this story a lot. There was one time I was in the studio and I just finished a track. It was like a, like a medium slow, like boom, bop, boom, boom, bop, boom, boom, boom. Um, and I just beat the shit out of it and went in the control room. Because, you know, I was trying to do my thing and, and give it a live feel, give it energy. And, you know, and that was <laughs> that was basically my way of doing that. And I went into the control room. I'm listening to this drum track. And I'm like, you cannot tell that I just was in there pounding the snot out of those drums. You can't tell. It just <laughs> sound like, you know, somebody's playing rock drums. Right. And If anything, they sounded probably a little smaller than they should have because I was hitting so hard. Mm hmm not to mention what that does to your uh time feel, you know like when you're beating the shit out of something, it's a little harder to make it just skate and slide and slither forward than when you're not doing that. Right. When when you're pounding all your energy down, you know, remember listeners, your your job, our job is to you know be a ship for the song to sail on, so to speak. And you do not want your ship too deeply submerged in the water. It's got to be submerged just so, just enough so that the ship can balance itself and just move forward, you know, and enjoy mm-hmm. the journey, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and if you're beating the shit out of something, you're just making it harder to do so. You know, I did a pretty good job of it. I mean, I had a pretty good forward momentum anyway, but, uh, you know, I I eventually grew to find it very limiting to be doing that um, for several reasons, emotionally, groove-wise, and dynamically, man. Like, you know, if you start out at 10, man, and you want to say something, that can only really be said well and articulately and effectively at seven, you're screwed. Yeah. You can't do it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? So It's uh, It reminds me of a something that Daniel Glass told me years ago. He said and I think somebody told him this, but he said, you know, do you want to be In the Pinto doing 65 miles an hour and you're completely maxed out, or do you want to be in the Ferrari doing 65 miles an hour where you've got plenty of room (laughs) to go either way? You know,
1: that's a good one, man. That's a good one. So how
0: did you, how did you, I I want to touch on two things because I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into it about one. I think you would mention like maybe there were some injuries happening or you were starting to feel like you were going to get some injuries. And two, how did you, so how did you really work on that, that wide range of, of dynamics and finesse and feel?
1: Yeah, so re- regarding injury. This is a deep topic for me because I hurt myself very early on. You know, I started losing feeling in my left arm as a young teenager. I st- I learned tradition I learned to play the drums tradition with traditional grip in my left hand. Mm-hmm. And uh at about 13 years old I decided traditional grip wasn't for me and I wanted to play matched And the problem was, is I had no facility with matched grip Mm. and I had a pretty good amount of facility with traditional grip, but I did not want to use it. And I basically forced my left arm to submit, you know, to my desires. And I did not, (laughs) I did not treat my left arm fairly at all. I basically abused it. And, uh, you know, I heard what I heard in my head, and I wanted to get it out, and I couldn't do it with much ease. A lot of the stuff, the finessy stuff, I could not do very well, and with with matched grip, and uh I hurt myself. You know, and for years I would go back and forth. You know, I can't, the traditional grip hung on because there were just certain shit that would hurt that I literally couldn't do because I'd go numb or you know I'd lose fine motor skills. Wow. So I'd switch back and forth and. Um, and that went on for some time and at about 25 years old, I was touring with a band called the cro and we were on a six week tour in Europe and I was just miserable because I was so scared about my left arm that, you know, it was very it was scary. Like I was like, man, like am I going to have to I'm having a hard time here. Right. Like I'm losing I'm losing the ability to control what I'm doing. Right. Especially at that age it's got to be scary. Oh man. It was it was bad. So that was kind of like That was the turning point for me. I said, "Wow, here I am doing what I want to do. I'm touring. I'm in Europe and I'm miserable." I have to do something about this. And so that was the turning point. I I um what I realized was that I had to I had to address this on a couple of different levels. One was why did I do the, this to myself in the first place? Like where was my head? What was I thinking? Um and really what what started in my head first was like I'm scared like I I can't like I'm losing sleep about this you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm scared because I'm thinking like I don't even want to do this anymore this sucks so bad like this is horrible like I'm not having fun anymore this is actually like you know I'm walking the plank every time I play the drums instead of you know freaking swimming around having fun you know I And so I was starting to have feelings of like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that was freaking me out because my whole life was about, this is what I want to do. So I saw a psychologist and she helped me sort things out in my head. And the second angle, and you know, I'm not going to go too far into sorting my head out because it's just too... Detail oriented to to go into right now. Sure. Again, I'd be happy to do it at another time. But, you know. I encourage my, my students all the time to master the instrument that plays the instrument. And that is your mind. And and your body to 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 an extent or by extension as well. But it all starts in the mind. And my mind was a mess. And that was played a huge role in me messing up my body because my mind was a mess. So I got help with my mind and simultaneously I started getting help with my body. I started seeing physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists. Um, and, uh, I started stretching, um, you know, I started doing yoga and I started committing major time to taking care of my mind and my body. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I started working on different techniques. I had to, you know, I had to change not only my mind, but my, you know, my practices, uh, what I was doing for technique. And I started working with molar technique. Um, I started uh, working on playing in the first fulcrum, I start, which I couldn't do, mm-hmm. you know, I could only play in the second fulcrum. Um, and, you know, there are certain reasons to do both, in, in my opinion, like there are certain things that feel better in second fulcrum. There are certain things that feel better in first, but I could only play second fulcrum. There are certain things, if you're playing big, big rock and roll or big, you know, like arena rock, there are certain things that you're going to do that I don't, I'm not in first or second fulcrum. I'm like way deep in my hand with a very loose grip because I'm, you know, I'm playing these big exaggerated motions and I don't want to hurt myself. So, you know, I started diversifying my approach from a technical perspective. Um, And I started, uh, you know, in working with Muller, I started relying on, on momentum more than I was um and using motions to my advantage more than i was like back and forth motions circular motions um i checked out jim chapin's you know vhs tape on on molar technique i was taking tips from that um and i started consciously using my fingers more um and uh and I wasn't really doing that to the extent, certainly in my left hand, my mm. left hand was just, was kind of dumb. I didn't, I didn't give it the education it needed. You know, I should have started taking tips from my right hand right away, right, right away. When I switched to match, I did not do that. Um, it's sort
0: of like learning how to refine those, those smaller gears. It's
1: very, that's a good analogy. Refining those smaller gears. Um, and so Again, sort of in a nutshell, that was my approach to my, you know, what started in my head as like, oh, this is a physical problem, Mm -hmm. you know, turned into, well, this is a mental problem and a physical problem and a technical problem.
0: Right. So that was my approach. It's interesting. I like that because I know I get a lot of people, you know, talk about. Finesse, feel, power, you know, things like that, but then also having some issues with their with their hands and things like that. So, you know, I think that getting with some technique person or, you know, figuring some way to really slow those movements down and put them under a microscope to fix them because, you know, small problems become big problems over time. So
1: hell yeah, man. And and I would say if you're having any kind of problems like I'm describing, use your strong hand. Use your, use your smart, strong hand as a guide for your weaker, you know, less intelligent hand.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and so of course, you know, get, get with somebody if you can, you know, who has good technique and can help you, you know, along those lines.
0: Mm -hmm. Jojo Mayer's DVD is a great one that, that secret weapons for the modern drummer. Yes, I, can't,
1: I honestly, I can't say that I've seen it, but a lot of my students have, uh, have you know, spoken highly of that DVD.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's definitely did. a good one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I want to be cognizant of your time. I know you got to go. So if if uh, if people want to connect with you and, you know, study with you and all that sort of thing, what's the best way that they can they can get to you and get your books and all that stuff?
1: Uh you can go the best way to contact me is Dave DeCenso at gmail.com. So it's Dave and DeSenso is D-I-Capital C E N S O. Of course, you don't need the capitals for the email, but that's how you spell my name. Dave DeCenso at gmail.com. Um you can also, you know, I've got a Facebook, a personal Facebook page, a, a fan page on Facebook. You can message me through there. But, you know, if you're interested in studying, uh, I would go, I would rather you go to my Gmail, uh, go through my Gmail account to contact me. Um, and, uh, what else? What else did you just ask me, Nick? I well, forgot.
0: The books. But what I'll do is I'll link, I'll go, I'll get, I'll grab the links for your books and everything, and I'll put them on the show notes for the podcast. So any anyone listening can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash session one six seven, and all of Dave's info will be on there email, Facebook, all that stuff, and how they can, uh, how they can get to your site and get your books and all that stuff. So
1: very cool. I appreciate you doing that.
0: Absolutely, my man.
1: Yeah, man. So my, my website is DaveDescenso.com. You can check that out. Don't email me through that, though. I seem to be having trouble. People are people are telling me the emails are bouncing back. So do the Gmail. Uh, and you can also, you know, find links at the website. And check out my YouTube channel if you would. I'd appreciate that. You know, subscribe to my channel. Um, and, uh, and just briefly, we didn't get a chance to talk about Rhythm and Drumming Demystified, but Briefly telling you about it, it's it's the it's the predecessor to Universal Rhythms for Drum Set. It's the foundation. It's the beginning. It's like if the context in Universal Rhythm Rhythms for Drum Set is is clave's, and, and and we're just interpreting those figures in a bunch of different ways, and we're permutating those figures in a bunch of different ways. Uh, rhythm and Drumming Demystified: the context is basically foundational figures like a, a half note, a quarter note, um, you know, like permutating a half note in 4-4, four, four, permutating a quarter note in 4-4, four, four, and recognizing the figures that are born of permutating those figures. I call those rhythm codes. Um, you know, and then doing the same process with the rhythm codes, and there are five rhythm codes that I cite in Rhythm and Drumming Demystified, do the same process with what I, well, I did the same process with, the, with that rhythmic context in terms of interpreting with styles and rudiments and developing, you know, groove, fill, and solo ideas. Um, it's just, a, it's just a, a more foundational context to work with where the universal rhythms context is, you know, I'd say a more advanced context, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh and I thought I was gonna say something else. Was I gonna say something else?
0: <laughs> you sound like me.
1: <laughs> uh um, 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 um I guess I, I had another thought in my my head about that the first book. But yeah, so that's that's essentially what rhythm and drumming demystified is, is all about. And, uh, and man, yeah, see, I'm over here trying to figure out what I was going to say, because I I (laughs) felt it was important, but it's not coming to me. So, so check out, oh, I know what I was going to say. And you can check out tutorials for rhythm and drumming demystified on my youtube channel there are free tutorials uh for that book on my youtube channel to give you a a, an even better sense of what the book is about nice
0: nice and like i said i'll link up to to all this stuff too so people can can check that stuff out and actually i'll probably just grab one or two of them and put them on the site as well so very cool cool. i appreciate that that, man absolutely man i appreciate you you taking all this time to chat with me man i could have done this for forever so i appreciate it
1: Yeah, dude. I mean, me too. Uh, It was great, and and thank you for asking me. It's good to be uh, among all this awesome company that that you've uh, accumulated for your interviews, man. That's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it was it was definitely a pleasure to have you. So, uh, yeah, and anytime you want to come back, man, you're you're more than welcome. So, okay, man, you you just let me know when you want to do this again, and I'll I'll uh, I'll be happy to do it. I definitely will. Cool, Nick. So there you have it, Dave DeCenzo. And for links to everything that we chatted about and ways that you can get in touch with Dave, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 167. And before we go, I have one favor to ask of you. Now, I'm not asking for money, and these podcasts are going to be free forever. We have the sponsors, and, and that pays for the expenses to run it. But what I am asking you to do is to share the word about the podcast. If you can share it with your friends, if you can share it on social media, if you can, you know, bring it up in conversation when you're talking to other drummers and things like that. Helping to spread the word helps to raise the awareness of it. It gets more traffic to the podcast. It gets more ad revenue. We can get better guests. I can put out better content. And, you know, it's just... It's just something that that really uh, would would help the podcast grow. So if you can take a second and spread this around to your drumming friends and just, you know, share it on social and things like that. And I would really appreciate it. And like I said, these are free and they always will be. So uh, that's that's the only thing I'm going to ask is that you just help spread the word. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for all the support so far. A lot more to come. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.